Welcome to Create Your Own Light, where we harness our past, we embrace our future, and learn to conquer the roadblocks along the way together. I'm your host, Travis Howes. Let's get on with it. This episode is brought to you by YourWelder.com. YourWelder.com is an online directory of mobile welders. Whether at your home or at your industrial processing plant, we come to you. Our community of mobile welders can repair anything from the neighbor's mailbox that you just backed into or the cat bulldozer sitting on your job site. YourWelder.com is a directory of highly skilled professionals willing to help you on your job site on your timetable. YourWelder.com screens all of their welders using tools like photos from social media apps such as Instagram, Parler, and Facebook, even face-to-face meetups. YourWelder.com was built by actual industry welding experts who actually perform this type of work on a daily basis. And here's the best part. They're veteran-owned and operated. So go check them out at YourWelder.com. And also feel free to check them out on social media, where I'll include their links in the show notes. All right, here we are, episode 47. I'm back. I'm I'm at the farmhouse. Um, I told you guys last episode on 46, I set up a makeshift studio, and I was looking at the fields and everything. I was so excited. I'm, I'm, this is the most exciting episode I've ever done yet. It's something I've wanted to do since I started this. I didn't know how I was going to be able to pull it all together, make it happen. You guys know, I don't really do guests. I actually put a, put a questionnaire out several times on, um, guests that I should have on the show. And I got all kinds of tremendous feedback and with overwhelming support, you know, who the number one requested guest was out of all the people I've, I've, um, I guess, intermingled with it throughout my life and and the relationships that I have with people. You know who the number one guest request was? It was my dad. Because when you read my book, Create Your Own Light, I talk extensively about the relationship I have with my father. I talk about how I grew up and I talk about the toughness that was instilled into me. And I don't think I'd still be around had that toughness and not been instilled in me when I was a young man. And uh, it helped me get through a lot of hurdles in life. And as I'm out here working on the farm, my dad showed up at the farm to help me pull fence today and work on fence like he always does. He always shows up in clutch moments. And guess who I have for episode 47? The old man. Won't you say hey, Dad? Well, hey, son. I'm glad to be here. He's glad to be here. Y'all hear that? So here's the deal, man. My dad is not like me. My dad and I are completely opposite. We're the same. We're cut from the same cloth. Um... I'm an asshat. I make I make fun of a lot of shit. I really don't care like about being out there. My dad is low key, but one of the best people you'll ever meet. And uh, when I when I told him I wanted to do this, he's like, "Hell no, I ain't doing that shit." And he's like, "You putting me on the Facebook?" And so <laughs> he got all nervous. I was putting him on the Facebook, so we're not on the Facebook, but we are going to be here today. I'm gonna um, I don't know how long this is going to go, but I want you to get a kind of a glimpse into how me and my father roll. Um, when obviously we don't, we don't have cameras on us at all times. Um, we have a lot of fun together and I'm hoping, I'm hoping I can, I can liven him up here. So dad, is there anything you want to say? Anything fun that you want to get, get going? Anything you're thinking about? No, I'm just uh, really excited about this. So get started. <laughs> I can tell this is like Brian teeth, boy. <laughs> um, all right. So what did we do today on the farm, dad? We stretch fence and put in 40 poles and wired up poles. So we stretch fence and stretch fence and stretch fence. 
and <laughs> had numerous cuts on my little hands. So there. All right. So, all right, here we go. <laughs> so one of the things I want to talk to you about is, um, growing up when I, when, when I was growing up, I was, um, how do I say it? It was me and Randy always talk and he's like, dude, I know your dad thought you were probably going to be a pussy because I was a whiny little bitch sometimes. And you instilled all this toughness in me. So from a father's point of view, I'd love to hear what you thought when I was a young man. See, when I, when I look at my girls right now, I know they're going to be just fine. I know I don't have to worry about them. But I can look at some moments back in my life growing up where you probably might have had some concerns. Not really. Never had a concern. I just knew you needed some leadership and to make you tough because you were so small I had to be the one to lead you because my father led me to what I was and it just that you were going to need some help because everyone looked at you like a wimp which you were close to at the time but you know I, I knew you could come out of it with the right Billy Badass things we could do so it worked out and I was proud. Well, the key word was proud, was proud. Um, but so if you, if you, if you heard my dad say, mentioned Billy bad, I talk about Billy bad in my book and he was right. I was little, I was a very small kid growing up, um, on the football field. I was, I was picked on, not, not people wouldn't tease me, but people would knock the shit out of me because I was an easy target. And that pissed my dad off because he was the Al Bundy of his high school. Right. Correct. <laughs> and he won golden helmet award and all this. He was a defensive guy. So he was a headhunter. And my little ass, when I would go out, I'd just get bulldozed every single time. So I tell a joke on the feet on where, um, I tell a joke about my dad was a tough guy growing up, but he would say things that were so confusing. They would make sense. And when I got hurt one time on the football field, I had the wind knocked out of me. And rather than you running over and being concerned about my, um, about my health, cause you know, I was okay. I, I tell the joke. The joke is, um, I looked up and told my father, couldn't breathe and so my dad looks down at me and tells me boy you better breathe through your ass and that's how it was that's the way i was taught that's the way my generation was taught we we didn't ball up and cry we we stood up we would take it it would hurt but we knew to overcome those moments we had to stand up and do what we felt was right and to make us tougher and my father was very, very hard on me. And now I thank him for it because it made me a better man. Well, see, I talk about that in my book, how I thank you for the way that, you know, we've had private conversations and you've asked me, do you think I was too hard on you growing up? And I was like, absolutely not. I'm, I'm, I'm so proud at the way that I was raised. I'm, I'm proud at the way you handled things. Um, and I wish that we could still parent the same way. And you and I have conversations now about how, uh, you know, I don't get political or anything, but um, this isn't going to be a normal podcast. This is just a conversation with my dad. This isn't going to be anything about mental health or anything like that. This is a conversation with my dad, something I'll always have. Um, but when you see as an older gentleman now, the way that people are raising kids, how does that make you feel looking back on the way that you were raised? Because I know how it makes me feel. And I'm a generation removed from you. So I couldn't imagine the way that you were raised looking at young kids now. What I see is that 
the parents have no control at this point because they're not allowed to discipline children the way we were disciplined and you were disciplined. Uh, we got the message real quick. No is no. You know, it wasn't take away this from you or take away from that from you. You got what you deserve. You got a whipping like I got a whipping. That stuck with us. I used to get my own, my, have to cut my own whips for my father. You know, I never made you do that. I always had a handy belt for you. But you learned by me applying that belt to you versus telling you, no, no, don't do it again. You know, I'm going to punish you. So I think the parents today is just kids control the parents and parents don't control kids. So they, they have to give in and the law more or less has made it that way. 100%, but you didn't tell people about the spikes that you had on the belt. There. No, so, no, I didn't. Um, so he had a spike belt. I had, I caught that spike belt, but I, 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 I'm in 100% agreement with you because, and you know, we talk about this all the time, and these, these parents, they're, they're pussified in there. <clears throat> but unfortunately, that's the way parenting goes now. And, you know, and I tell my girls, I'm like, Grandpa didn't ask me twice. They're like, what did he do? And I'm like, you don't want to fucking know <laughs> what Grandpa would do. He didn't ask you twice. One of the things I like to reflect on when I was young was, um, so I worked for my father on the golf course. My golf, my dad was a uh, superintendent of golf course and he always gave me the shittiest jobs and I used to hate him for it. And looking back, I, I respect the hell out of it because he didn't show any favoritism, but he did fire me a lot and I got fired a bunch of times and tell him about, why don't you tell him about the time when uh, you fired me and then rehired me that evening? You, you tell him, I don't want to tell him. I think I had him doing some sand trap work, which is what most young guys start with on a golf course to see if they're tough enough to do the job. So he had been there for six months or so, and we went together and uh, purchased a vehicle for him. And he was clowning around like, like he always does and, and having a good time. He made everybody laugh at the shop. But there's a time to be a clown and a time not. So in one day, it was not. And so he got me into a position. I didn't have anything other that I could do with other employees watching me but terminate him. So, uh, you know, I didn't want to do this, but I did do it. And when we got home that night, everything's fine. Of course, he's not speaking. I'm not speaking. Then he walks in and politely lays this book down in front of me. And it's a payment book. And I says, uh, what's this all about? And he said, well, Dad, I can't afford to pay for my car now. I don't have a job. So he put me in a position that where I had to hire him back. And I said, son, you be at that damn job at 7 o'clock in the morning because I wasn't going to pay for that car. So <laughs> he tricked me, he trapped me. But it was fun. I got him. But see, the thing back then is when you had to sell a car, you had to do it old school. You had to put it by the road. Right, and you had you were working eighty hours a week. You didn't have time to go park a car by the damn road. You didn't yeah. have time to sit there and take bullshit calls from people. And it's not like today where you can just sell it with the click of a phone. True, you actually had to put it forth an effort, and you didn't have time for that. One of the things I also like to talk about is um, when we would go shrimping, and I tell people all the time. Uh, I tell my wife, I was like, you don't understand. I would go shrimping with my dad to make ends meet on um, school nights. For, for that extra money. Dad's, dad's side hustle was going out in the river late at night and shrimping. And um, I would have to help him some nights. And I would wonder why the teachers would call at the next day. Like, Travis can't stay awake in school. And, and you're like, 
you're mad as shit at me. And I'm sitting here like, motherfucker, you kept me out till <laughs> three o'clock in the morning. You know, and it, but it's times like that that I look back on. We had so much fun, and um, I tell people all the time I graduated second from the bottom of my class, and, and I'm proud of that number because it's almost like the Tom Brady thing where Tom Brady, the you know, quarterback, mm-hmm. and he was drafted like 199th out of 200, and he still went on to, to, to achieve good things. So um, your high school ranking in your class don't mean shit. <laughs> you can still go out and do good things. But – we had a lot of fun. Um, we would go out in the river and all that. And, and um, I, I'll, I'll tell the story all the time about when we got caught in a lightning storm underneath the docks. And to save to save your little family, what'd you do? I put you under an aluminum dock. Put us under an aluminum dock. <laughs> we got out the rain, didn't we? <laughs> we got out of the rain, but we were holding on for dear life. We'd sit in that boat and the lightning's popping all around. And uh, I remember one occasion we were under a dock by Palmetto Bluff and I was lightning was striking and we're looking at potato island where was his name harry cram harry cram harry cram killed two marines that broke into his house and tried to rob him and i was thinking about are we gonna get struck and killed out here and i was <laughs> thinking about that I was having all these fun thoughts but i love the dangerous side of things when i was little and growing up and i love the fact that we could go out in the woods i would go out in the woods and play and I don't mean just outside of the house. I mean way away from the house, like miles down the road in the woods. And you guys never knew where we were. Correct. Ever. Correct. And now, if my daughters are outside, my eyes are on them. We have to be. Well, how? What, what do you think has changed? Why was it so different back then? It's almost like I, I look back and I'm like, damn, did my parents have an insurance policy on my <laughs> life? Like just letting me go out and do stuff that y'all did. But why do you think it's changed? I think it's changed because of uh, trust yeah there's a lot more trust in the neighborhoods neighborhoods uh, all, all the people around you all people when i was growing up they were responsible for everybody's kids you know so parents other parents were looking out for other kids so you could be down the road a half a mile but there's parents down there and they just had the right to go ahead and whip you if they needed to and same with you we knew parents down the roads that you would run into somebody that you knew and people aren't weren't as crazy as they are now. Just pick you up and do whatever. But one thing you forgot to mention about your shrimping and fishing and hunting is you learned a skill that you can go out now and feed yourself. And that was more important to me that you learned those things at that age to where one day you might need it. So you should thank me for that. Well, I thank you for everything, but... You're, you're right. So you want to talk about a funny story. So I was such a good hunter. Why don't you tell them about, about the time when I was shooting in the woods and I started crying like a little bitch. Tell them that story because that's not in my book. I always tried to position him in a best area for uh, a kill. And I, I was just dying to see him get his first deer. And it takes a lot of effort to do that. And hunters... Uh, him and I were, we actually hunted different than a lot of people. We didn't bait deer or anything like that. We actually did some scouting, and we would place our stands in places for for him to see the experience of actually hunting and scouting for deer. So one day, we I found a good area, and he was along with me. We found this area. We positioned our stands, and it was getting a little dark. and uh, So not dark, but getting, losing a little light. Still legal to shoot deer. But uh, I put him in a, a good stand, and I went to another stand, and I says, you know, I'll be back. 
So I'm sitting there, and I like to hunt until, and not only to see uh, where the deer may come from, but to, you know, give the deer an opportunity to come out, because they like to come out right at dark or dusk. But so I sat there maybe too long, and then I heard these shots go off, and I said, oh, boy. So I come down my tree, and I start walking towards where Travis was. And I went to his stand, and I says, where's the deer? And he said, well, he was right out there, and he was pointing in front of him, saying he was standing there, and I shot. And he ran a little, he ran a little bit. And I said, which direction did he go? So here I'm out looking, going all over the ground, looking for blood the way you should do, and looking in the direction that he had shot, and never saw any blood. But and he said, no, he, he went that way. And finally, I says, are you sure you hit him? And then he confessed. He shot because he didn't think I was coming out the woods. <laughs> Thought I'd left him in the woods. So a little heartbroken, but I understood it. He was he was a young fellow. Well, this is how convinced oh, I was 19 and I was home for leave out <laughs> of the Marines. Um, no, this is how convinced I was that my dad left me because I, I knew I wasn't shit and growing up. And I, well, I shouldn't say that, but I knew that uh, I had some room for improvement and I was so scared that my dad hated me that he just left me in the woods. And I, I knew he loved me because he always told me. But I felt like you just left me. <laughs> and I was out here on my own. And I am 15. No, how old was I? I wasn't 15. Shit. No, you, I was probably 10. 10, 11. Yeah, I was 10 or 11. And I was scared to death. And then we went hunting again. And uh, I think I did it again. Or no, I started yelling for you the second time and you were pissed off you're like i ain't fucking taking him goddamn hunting anymore so when another time i cried i, I actually cried one time and this is uh, i was 33 now i'm kidding but i was we were out in a boat you know that first boat we had had it we had a little um it had a little johnson 40 on it. and right. i remember standing at the house and you cut up the dirt road and you were towing that boat boy it looked like a fucking yacht because we never had no boat we never had no shit like that and then you come rolling up the road with your work truck, you stood outside that thing. You look like one of Barker's beauties from The Price is Right showing that thing <laughs> off, boy, just putting your hands all over it and shit. And then we go out in the boat the first time it breaks down. And and not during the day, school night. School night. Gigging. Gigging, yeah, we were gigging fish. Went gigging, had to teach him how to gig. The only problem was we broke down at 2 o'clock in the morning. And uh, Yeah, I had school in two hours. Yeah, well, there was... Uh, to, to get the big fish, he had ended gig late yeah. <laughs> with the right tie. So we're stranded in this favorite spot of mine, and nothing was in the river but us. And out of the blue, I saw a boat coming. So it was coming down Calabogie Sound. And we threw the light on him, started flashing. And Lord and behold, he came up to us, and it was a boy I knew. And so he said... Uh, what's wrong? And we told him, and, you know, nothing's going on in this motor. It, it won't turn over. It won't do anything. So it was a fairly new motor, and he said, have you checked the fuse in it? And uh, I said, no, I didn't even know it carried a fuse like that. So we checked the fuse. There's a spare fuse in it, fired it up, and took the crybaby home. So, <laughs> Damn, took the crybaby home. <laughs> you actually, I think you, y'all didn't replace the fuse. You remember what you did? Aluminum foil. 
off of a pack of cigarettes. Pack of cigarettes. That's right. Yeah. That was the fuse. Right. And that's when I learned at a young age how to how to bypass a fuse if well, you have a little piece of aluminum. See, he told me there was a fuse box in there. Yeah. But we done. I had my Marlboros there. Boy, was a Marlboro so, man back so, in the day. So we we did have to pull that aluminum foil because we that worked before we found the fuse. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, I just remember that. I remember y'all tearing cigarette packs apart yeah. and, and doing that. Well, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. We didn't have good lights out there to see what the hell we were doing. So You just had that big old Q-beam. Yeah. It wasn't like back where you could turn a, a cell phone on and get a light. Right. You right. had a big-ass Q-beam the size Blind of a Blind everybody can. in the boat. Yeah. yeah. Everybody's falling out in the fucking boat. <laughs> get, speaking of falling out in the boat, fell out the boat when we were gigging bass at Harbor Town one time. And I was so scared of sharks. How was I such a pussy? I don't know, but this was, I, I never forget that. It was in November because it was cold. Yeah. I, I keep note of when people fall out of boats, I threw your mother out of a boat one time. <laughs> and it was November. And then we were looking for shark's teeth. But back to you, we uh, we were gigging and we got into a school of big spot tail bass, what people now call redfish. But we were in shallow water, of course. And the bass wound up weighing eight pounds. Little Travis. What were you, seven, eight, yeah, max? I wasn't too old. Yeah. Well, when he stuck the fish, you know, I had to help him because the fish was going we, to take him. and hit the tail. I hit the hit tail. tail him. Pinned him. Pinned him, got up there. He falls up into the river. And I've never seen anybody hit water and get back in the boat so, so fast in my life. Boat, because that's when Jaws was out. Right. Jaws was... And I thought, the movie. I thought Jaws was, what, three feet from the bank? From, right. From right. the land? <laughs> yeah. So gigging, those of you that don't know, when you're gigging fish, you're gigging in shallow water, and you take a gig, you have a, a big spotlight, your motor's off, you're just, like, poling with your gig along the bank. So you're only in, what, foot, two feet of water? Right. You know, I mean, three feet tops. Right. And you can see the fish laying on the bottom. So when you fall out the boat, I mean, you yeah. can stand up, and you're fine. But my ass thought I was in the mid-Atlantic somewhere, <laughs> and Jaws was chasing me. Before anyone comments on the uh, the sound, look, we're, we're, we're set up real makeshift. We're using one microphone. We don't have two microphones. So we haphazardly threw this thing together so I could do this episode. So don't hit me in my inbox and tell me about the fucking low audio. Just, just let's just roll with it, baby. So, Dad, you, you clearly have read my book. You understand a lot of the stuff I've been through. We've um, We've talked about a lot of that over the years, actually. We've never really actually sat down and talked about it, but we've skimmed over some of it. I want to ask you, because I sit back sometimes and I think about if I saw my daughters going through what I've been through, um, as far as not all of it, but some of it, I it kind of scares me as a dad at what that might feel like to see your child going through something that's so difficult with all the, with all the, um, you know, years and years and years of struggle, of mental struggles. Can you tell me as a father, what that's like from your point of view? From watching you and knowing there's nothing I can do to help you is what bothers me. I, I've seen you suffering, and I offer, but until you've been where you are or have been, I can't fully understand exactly how or to help you, even experts. 
sometimes can help you if they haven't experienced what you've experienced. And I was there for you, but I, I was thinking you needed more than me. And even though I was there, you you were needing something and like what you found. You found happiness in comedy. You found happiness in helping other people. So that, it was killing me inside and out and your mother not to know what we could do for you. And to this day, I'm not an expert on this. I've seen you recover greatly. But, you know, I'm still very cautious with your feelings and respect everything that you've been through and seeing now that you're helping other people. And I think that's helping you. And I think that was the answer. But for me, it, it, was, it was a nightmare. I lay awake at night hoping I could come up with something. And I never could. You found this, what you needed to help you. Did you and mom, so, we, you know, I, you and I, I told you when we sat down, I was like, I don't know what we're going to talk about. We'll just kind of feel it out. But I think this could help parents um, because this is a more of a mental health um, platform that I go through, but I also try to be inspirational and all that. But I try to talk about it from a spouse's point of view, from my point of view. I've never seen it from a parent's point of view. And I can imagine how helpless that would be that would make you feel seeing your child go through that. Now I know mom and I had conversations about a night when I was um, really in the lowest part of my life when I didn't want to live anymore. And I had a you know gun and, and all this stuff and I was about to, to shoot myself essentially. Did she ever talk to you about that? She did, but I approach it very slow because it would not what whatever I could say to you is not going to change you know I was there to help you but I had to let you come to me a little bit you know I didn't want to dig because digging at what you were was happening to you sometimes just seemed to upset you more you didn't want to talk about it you didn't want to share about it. how could I help you if I didn't know how to talk with you about it and your mother did share with me your feelings I shared with her what you told me, the little things you told me, but still we didn't know the answers. And, you know, even like I say, the experts don't know all the answers. Each person is different. And, but it was a nightmare for us. We were constantly thinking about what can we do to help him? You know, where should we go? What should we do? And it wasn't that you didn't want help. I don't think you knew at the time what kind of help you needed either. So that's where we were. So you're saying everything that when people listen into this, I'm over here shaking my head as you're talking because I know the questions that I get. I know the feedback that I get and I know the helplessness that other people feel. I, I hear from wives. I hear from husbands. I hear from mothers and fathers and they just don't know what to do. And they'll ask me like, what do we do? And I tell them the same thing. Don't pry. These people have to want to help themselves. You have to, and that's why I titled that book, Create Your Own Light. You got to fucking do it yourself. Nobody's going to do it for you, no matter what. But you got to be there for them. And that's what you guys always, you you and mom, you were always there. And uh, I knew that and you never really pried or anything. But it was hard like for me because I knew I was destroying 
everything around me. I was destroying my relationships with you, with mom, with my sister, with anybody that I could destroy. And what it was, was looking back, I realized that I was afraid to get too close because I was so accustomed to losing that I didn't want to lose anymore. And I didn't want to feel that hurt anymore. Right. And so what we do is we self-destruct. And I just, if I saw my children, you know, I, I was just doing a, um, I was just teaching a course and I won't say what department. Well, I think I already did that in the past anyway, but anyway, I was teaching a course and a mother was there because we, we have, um, we have family members come out with these things so they can learn a little bit. And the mother stood up and asked the question, <clears throat> going horse. Um, the mother stood up and asked a question about her son and you could tell she was lost. And, and the son sitting there crying next to her and you could tell they were just destroyed by this thing, this post-traumatic stress thing, this mental health thing. They couldn't find any answers. And that's why I do what I do now. It's not like I run out and I throw answers to everybody. I don't have all the answers, but fuck, somebody's got to try, right? Right. Well, we were always there for you. You know that. But uh, like you say, we didn't know the answers. We it's not easy to try to experience something that uh, someone else went through. You know, it's like somebody that say they uh, they were in war, and you're talking about oh well, it couldn't have been this or that. Yeah, you, you got to be there to to know. So with your conditions, you know, she, my mother and I would talk and say, what can we do? And like I say, we didn't want to pry into it with it because I, we were thinking. Sometimes I did try to ask you things and you would shy away. And it, to me, that was meaning you didn't want to talk about that. So why revisit that? That's going to make it worse for you. We didn't know that. We, you think the first thing you can do is sit down and talk about something. Not always true. Not in your case. You know, and from what I'm hearing, uh, sometimes you don't want to resurface that. So I don't know how to deal with it. We didn't know. And that's, that's the classic answer, right? And uh, like you said, I'm I'm transparent, but there's still a lot of things that I don't ever talk about. Still, you know, when, when I do what I do, and people think that, oh, let's ask Travis anything, and he'll mm-hmm. tell us, no, I'm not like that at all. I'll tell you what I want to fucking tell you. There's a lot that I keep close to me that I never, ever, ever talk about because I don't feel like it needs to be public knowledge. There's things that I work on. There's things that I deal with on a daily basis that I've never addressed um, openly and publicly. But again, just because I'm willing to talk about this stuff, it's like you said, there's certain things where we do back away and we shy away from things because we don't want to relive those things. And I, and that's okay. And I try to tell people, look, I get questions when I teach my course. People are like, well, how do we start opening up and talk to our spouses? And I'll say this. The beauty is in, here's the beauty in it. You have the control over the conversation. You get to share as much or as little information as you want. And if people start prying, you're allowed to shut it down. But it's important that we do communicate with one another because I talk about how first responders, military people, we're good at fucking up our home lives because we don't know how to communicate with the people that we love. I didn't know how to tell you and I didn't know how to tell mom a lot of the the ways that I was feeling back then. And I still have a hard time doing it because me and you we're old school tough guys and we don't get out there and talk about sensitive shit. Right. Right. 
I don't know that you and I have ever really had a sensitive conversation. We haven't. <laughs> it's ball breaking. It's shit talking. Yeah. And it's, I'll tell you, I was on the tractor pulling something out of the woods not too long ago. This is how my dad is. And my my daughter's right there. I stand up on the tractor. I accidentally reach my hand out and I grab the fucking exhaust pipe. And it you could almost smell the skin. It cooked it on there. And I go, fuck shit. And I'm, I'm yelling. I'm not screaming, but I'm yelling, shaking my hand. And my dad's just standing there with this look on his face like, you going to stop feeling sorry for yourself and hurry up and come hook this fucking chain up? <laughs> he never asked how I was doing. Still hasn't asked how I'm doing. Um, he hit his head on a crossbar today on a, on a, on getting on the Polaris. Almost knocked himself out. And I just looked at him like he's stupid. <laughs> well, that's the way I was brought up. But uh, now, how's your hand, by the way? Yeah, haha. Yeah. Oh, sorry. But that's it. We tough guys, we don't talk about that stuff. Being, you said this when when you were um when you were little, your parents never said "I love you." Right. I don't never ever know of a time where we've hung up the phone where you never where you didn't tell me you love me. Never. You always tell me you love me. I always tell you I love you back. Right. Um, I hear other people. Just tell their parents bye on the phone. And it makes me think about that. Mm-hmm. And it makes me think about how special the relationship that we have. It really is. And that is the sensitive part of the conversation. Right. You know? Right. And I tell my kids all the time. You know, they get annoyed with me. They're like, you, you've already told me that 12 times today. <laughs> and I'm like, in my mind, I want to look at them in the face and be like, I could be dead in three minutes. So right. I'm going to fucking tell you again. And that's why, because I've lived that life. I've seen the the world through a different lens than most people. And one of my biggest things is I don't ever want people to not know how I feel about them because I may not be here in 10 minutes, you know? And it's important for me to let people know how I feel. So, Dad, the last episode that I recorded, it was called Rose Petals or Eggshells. And the reason I named it that was because I talk about how when we communicate with family members, rather than throwing rose petals at their feet and letting them walk on rose petals, we throw eggshells. Did it feel like you were on eggshells with me at any point? Yes. I, uh, it was definitely eggshells. Uh, because I just wanted so much to help you in any way I could but you know it was hard to talk with you and I understand why uh, but there's so many people going through this I think and, and we just don't know how to to crack that shell you threw on the floor you know we just can't get to to you to let you know we're here to help you but um, to erase what you've been through it's not going to happen through me. It's going to take what you're doing through time, I think, and experts, which I don't know if the experts are really experts. You know, they've got degrees saying they can cure you, but I don't know. I, I haven't seen that. And we we walked lightly around you, and but we were always there supporting you in any kind of way we could help. But... 
we just don't know what to do. And still to this day, you know, I, I, I know you still have issues. Uh, you still think about things. And I think this is always going to be there, don't you? 100%. And I tell people that all the time. It's um, you don't ever get to wake up and it's, it's all gone. It's there every day. You got to work on it every single day. And that's, we don't, we don't ask to be put in the situation, but by exposing ourselves, and I'm not talking about just military emergency services. This, this stuff can apply to people outside of those industries, but we're more susceptible to it because of what we sign up to do. And I talk about the glory of the job when we first do it versus when, once you've been in it for several years and you realize the shine is gone and the job changes you. However, it changes you. That never, it never goes away. It never leaves you, man. I I sit here and I think sometimes when I see people doing fun things, I'm like, man, shit, I wish I could go do fun things. And then I'm like, I'm just this miserable little grumpy fuck. And I just want to be on my farm and I want to be away from people. And then I got to make a, I got to make a conscious effort to actually get out there and involve myself. And it's because something changed with me over the years. And it, and it's sad when I look back and I see that, but I wouldn't change anything right now. I've lived a very full life at 43 years old. I've lived an extremely full life and I've had an extremely adventurous and fun life. And I've met so many wonderful people have had some challenges, but at the end of the day, I think today I'm the best version of myself that I've ever been hands down with all my faults. And that that's because of everything that I experienced. I just harness it differently now and I no longer feel sorry for myself and it, and it actually, it's, it helps me to, to embrace that versus, um, try to try to shy away from it. If that makes sense. So dad, you've seen me at my, at my absolute lows and you've seen me at my absolute highs. What do you think if you could, if you could put your finger on the one thing that you think after you step back and look at the whole picture, What's the one thing that you think helped me more than anything to find happiness? I think uh, the move you made buying this farm. Bam, there it is. It wasn't planned. It wasn't planned. This turned you around. And I, you know, I've been observing you for, what, the last, how long have we been going through this? 10, 15 years? 20 years? About 20 years. 20 years. And I have seen a new life in you since you purchased this land. And it's kept me busy, too. And it's, it's actually brought us close together. We worked together when you were young and I was younger. And we had our special times, but you grew away from me and I grew away from you because of our different personalities. And plus, you were having issues. But once you got this and we started hanging out together again, and I enjoy coming up here, is is this has brought us together. And this has turned you around almost 360 to me, or should I say 180. But, you know, you're yeah, in a— Yeah, 360 put me right back yeah, where I was. Yeah, no, <laughs> let's, let's go 180. But you're in a better place now. Your family is enjoying you again. We're enjoying you. Every, all your sister's enjoying you. you, you all your family see the difference in you. And it's all because of this and what you decided to do with your life. So I try to tell people all the time, you have to find, you have to find something that you connect with and that makes you happy. Because if you don't do that, 
You're never going to be able to find happiness. You'll never be able to find that peace inside of yourself. What I was doing, excuse me, I was buying my happiness. I would go out and I would I would spend money on things to try to make me happy, to try to give me a new experience. And what I found was that was just too short-lived and I needed something more permanent. And the reason I talked about my childhood earlier and, and I talk about it so much is because I think this this land, this farm, this this area that, that I'm in, it reminds me of when I was a kid and all those beautiful moments. There's so many similarities to, to how I grew up and I got away from that for so long and I just wanted to come back to it. You know, and I tell people when you're when you're when you're trying to be better. Of course, buying this land helped me, but there's so many other things that I put in place to to get to that 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 level of happiness again, you know, with with stopping drinking, changing my perspective and the way that I handle things, being able to not fly off the handle so quickly. Um, there's so many things I work on all kinds of things to get there. But yeah, I'm glad you said the single one thing that you could point out was buying this because I tell people all the time, man, if this was a this was a selfish purchase, I had to do this. And I'm not gonna get in. You know what I had to go through to get this. Right. And you know what sacrifices I made to get this. <clears throat> and it took me putting me in front of my own family, which I never really do. And I had to do that. And I tell people sometimes you gotta do that. You had to do that to keep your family. I mean, because that has sealed your family with you now. You know, I see it with your children, your wife, uh, like you say, your mother, your sister. This has changed you. And that, what'd you say? What your, your book, Your Own Light? God damn, you don't even know the book name. Well, I read it two or three times. But <laughs> anyway, you know, it, and you, you found your light. And this is it. So uh, I wished I could have did this 20 years ago for you. We, You would have been maybe a, a little better than what you are now. But we didn't know then. That's the problem with the people that's on the sideline. We don't know what you need. You found what you needed. Well, see, that's why I try I try to tell people from my, my perspective, my point of view, someone who's been there in the trenches, who's done it, done all the fucking dirty work, you got to do something for yourself and it doesn't, and I'm not talking about going out and buying a new car. It has to be something life changing, something that's going to not only make you better, it's going to make the people around you better. And if you don't do that, if you're stuck in a rut, a mental health rut, you can't get out of it and you look at yourself and, and, and you, and you look at your days, right? And you're doing the same shit day in, day out, day in, day out. What do they say? The, um, the definition of, of, crazy is doing the same thing over expecting doing the same thing every day expecting a different result right you got to do something drastic you got to do something different i'm not saying everybody has to go out and buy a farm but you got to make you can buy a bass boat or something you know but you gotta you got a plan you can't just go do something right because i've always been in the real estate i'm not gonna make this a real estate podcast um i've had some very good things happen in real estate, right? And I was able to put myself in a position to finally do this. But 
this wasn't the plan for me. My plan was to keep building wealth for my family because I always thought I'm going to die a few days or a few weeks from now anyway. And I need to put as much wealth in the wealth bucket to protect my kids later. But then I realized at some point, fuck, I may live to be 90. (laughs) And what good is all that wealth going to do me if I'm miserable and my kids see me unhappy all the time? True. Uh, And now everybody's happy. I see it every time I come to the forum. Your horses are happy, your donkeys are happy, and Travis is happy, and the Damn. kids are happy. The horses and the donkeys the are donkeys happy. The donkeys are happy. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right, Dad, we're about to get out of here. I know this was your first time on the podcast. I think you kicked ass. I think you did really good. We only have one microphone, so it's kind of hard, but I wanted to ease you into this. I would like to do more episodes with you down the line, and we could kind of shit talk. And, you know, I always tell everybody, I'm like, my dad is a shy man. I was like, but once you know this motherfucker, it's he's just like me and it's a lot of fun and it's been fun the conversations we get to have yeah you could never repeat a lot of them but i'm glad we have what we have and we're father and son and best friends all day long pretty much all day long and and i I couldn't be more thankful to, to have you as my father but i'm going to get out of here you want to tell the people anything before we go no, I think I said or no. He said, Thank fuck you. y'all. We're, hey, listen, we'll talk to y'all later. Um, this was just an episode of me and dad just kind of sitting down and talking. And uh, like I say, I I told him, I said, I don't have any movies of us. I don't have any recordings of us ever, of talking. And, you know, one day one of us isn't going to be here. And I think it'd be nice to just see that's how first responders think. We always think in the darkest way. I just caught myself. Yeah. I'm recording this because I know somebody's going to die. And you right. see what I'm saying? It never goes away. Right. This shit doesn't leave you. Right. And we always live our lives like that. And it's it's kind of sad, but it's true. So many first responders sitting there nodding their heads right now because we see that. But anyway, this is what it is. Um, all right. Thank you all so much for being here. As always, I love you all. Have a good one.